but by, from 2006 on, my guess is that we've probably made $100,000 a year or more off of just that street, those streets. All right, what's going on? Welcome back, everybody, to the Happy Agent Podcast. You've got myself, Jeff Beggins, and my brother. Your suntan brother, Craig Beggins, yeah. here. He's been having a, a good little boat weekend, it seems like, over there, sure. hanging out. And the we've, got, we've got something really cool for you today, which is, is awesome. It's, it's Michael Reichenbach. And Michael and Donna have been with us for about 15 years now. Uh, working for um, our company here over in the Madeira Beach office. And there's some really great tidbits. You know, one of dad's favorite sayings is that success leaves clues. And this is a great example of success. You know, Michael, I, we just gave you your Centurion Trophy, another one, right, from all your production. You're just a, a epitome of consistency and success, and you're just a, you're a great agent. So I think those watching um, today are going to get a lot about out of this as far as consistency and just commitment and just kind of the grind, right? You guys have been just really doing this for a while. So I'd like to turn it over to you and just, if you would bring us back to pre-real estate, Mike and Donna, uh, I, you guys have a really cool story about the business you were in before, like how, what were you doing before? And then how did you guys just celebrate another anniversary, right? And from, from you guys, how did you evolve? What was life like before real estate? What was the, the pivot to enter into this industry? And then we'll kind of follow the evolution to 15 years later with us here today. So I want to welcome you, welcome you to the podcast, and turn it over to Mike. Um, well, you know, when I was when I was a kid, I was in Germany. I lived in Germany, and I came over here when I was 16 years old, and such. And uh, you know, first of all, having having spent a fair amount of time there, and not being a, a terribly um, outgoing person as so many in, in real estate are, uh, someone told me that uh, you know I should. Uh, Get involved in, in you know specific activities to meet people and in specific when I was in Germany I, as as most people do in Germany and Europe or whatever at some point I think a big difference between their sports philosophies and ours is they introduce more people to more things whereas Americans tend to try to find the superstars earlier and I'm not saying one's better than the other but one of the things that they did while I was there was you know, send everybody in the in this class. They send this note home saying everybody's supposed to go to dance school because they had done that for generations. And my mom went to the same school, and and you know, and everybody else. And so, you know, went to that dance school for a little while and and such. And basically, I was a soccer player and tennis player at that time, so it wasn't a particular interest or anything like that. But you know, it was it was nice enough. And you know, when you're 13, 14, you get to hold a girl. It wasn't all that bad. Um, but you know. They, you know, they did it a little bit differently, more like probably Jim would do it or something where, you know, they had a, in those days, a microphone hanging down and, you know, in good German regimental fashion, you know, teach everybody or have everybody spend weeks learning all these fundamental basics and such, which kind of, you know, at some point, you know, eventually goes. But when I got here, being, you know, being shy, you know, my, my uh, mom, my father died when I was rather young. My mom decided that, well, maybe going to a dance school would be a good thing for me here to kind of meet people. So I did that. And in those days, I was the, you know, I was whatever, 16, 17, and everybody else was 65 or whatever, except for the teachers. So I got along better with the teachers than everybody else. But, you know, then I, I left that and started 
going to college, my everybody in my family was a college professor. And so I figured, well, you know, I can do this part-time. This seems pretty good. You can you know, teach in the evenings and go to school in the daytime. And, uh, you know, so by the time I got to, uh, you know, my third year or whatever in college, I just finished the junior college here, which was one of my mom taught. Uh, you know, I was making more money working part-time there than my mother was having, you know, being a college professor. So I see, you know, this college professor thing may not be all that, you know, all that hot and heavy. So I figured, well, I'll get into dancing. So then I decided I would go to England and become a, you know, competition, you know, dancer, because that, in those days, that's where all the top professionals went. Right? And, uh, you know, when I got there, you know, I met a bunch of English people who didn't particularly like Germans or Americans. First of all, they told me I didn't have the right body type to be a, uh, a good dancer. And they said my legs were too short, my body was too tall. And, you know, I was skinny in those days, so we won't talk about that part. But, you know, uh, you know so I, I went on for a while and it just seemed like that wasn't going to work out. So I decided I, you know, would come back and finish college and, you know, get a business degree or whatever. Well, uh, well, pause real quick. So I, this is a fascinating part of the story. I did not know this before. So the whole lineage is professors, right? You people, your mom was a teacher, a professor. Yeah, my mom was a college professor. My father was a college professor who had to escape Europe. And uh, all my uncles, most, you know, a couple of my uncles were as well. And, uh, yeah. All right. So you're on that path, right? You were at this time, you were on that path. You were going to school for that while you were kind of was, moonlighting with dance instructing. Yeah, I was expecting to, uh, you know, become, and I finally did get a degree in, in international relations and, and, and such. And, you know, that was my expectation was to either that or be a diplomat or. or how, how was the family? situation with you you kind of break in the chain of of professors like what was that like saying you're going to go and not become a professor you're going to go become a professional dancer in england and like, what was that like um well my mom wasn't too bad with it you know you know i have an older brother who she was busy uh uh sending to a college in, in europe at the time so she's probably happy not to have to pay for two tuitions or whatever but you know it was, you know, she, she was supportive enough. I mean, you know, she kind of start, started me on that path. And her, her basic philosophy is that when you're young, you can, you can change and do a lot of things. And, and both, you know, her generation, having been a, a World War II child uh, or a young adult, and, you know, my father, uh, my father's, you know, rather, uh, uh, you know, strange growing up as well. You know, she felt, you know, you do all of that stuff when you're young. And then at some point, you know, you, you know, marry the right German and off you go, um, you know, so, yeah, but, you know, so she was supportive enough. Uh, it just, you know, it just didn't, you know, develop the way, uh, you know, she wanted to, or I wanted to. Yeah. The problem was when I came back to the States, however, um, I, I uh, came back in January and this was in, during the Vietnam War era. And when I went to go back to college, I found out it was past the quote unquote drop ad date. Uh, uh, which was where you could get into school, and my uh, lottery number was six or something like that. And so, uh, oh. you know, all my, you know, really good friends who had, had been, you know, called me up and said, you know, I said, you know, I said, you know so what are you going to do? I said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, you're not going to school, and, you know, they're calling people, uh, you know, to go to the war. And, uh, you know, my entire, you know, war experience at that time was, I was in Berlin in 1967 when they had the big famous peace march in the Gedächtniskirche, 
in you know in in Germany, and you know I was a great part of that march until they started swinging clubs. At which point I ran into a hamburger Wimpy's hamburger restaurant and started in my best American. You know, can anybody give me a hamburger? Uh, you know, some you know, had no particular desire to join the war, but uh, uh, you know, so I decided at that point, you know, after trying to get into college and finding out I couldn't, I ended up joining the Navy. Uh, you know, because I, the Navy had this, uh, uh, this program called um, uh, Ocean Systems Technography, you know, and, they, and the only place you could do this that they mentioned was in Key West. I said, well, this isn't bad, you know. You know so I joined up and they, you know, had this guaranteed enlistment and off you go to boot camp and you get through boot camp and I'm about five, six weeks into boot camp. And they said, oh, you know, by the way, sailor, you can't do this Ocean Systems Technographer. What else would you like? Well, well, you know, wait a minute. You got this guaranteed enlistment program. I said, yeah, I know, but your your glasses are too thick, right? Or your vision's too bad. And I said, well, you know, my vision was too bad six weeks ago. I said, well, you know, when I joined the Navy, you know, Navy, I came in. So, well, yeah, but we didn't notice. But you can't do that. What else would you like to do? I said, well, you know, I said it's really not fair. I said, well, you can leave, but the army's waiting for you at the gate, you know. Oh. Uh, and then you're going to Vietnam. So, you know. So I, uh, you know, I ended up becoming a translator. They said, well, you know, you have good scores and, and this, that, or whatever. So I ended up going to the Foreign Service Institute in Washington, D.C. and uh, became a, you know, they taught me how to do, how to speak Hebrew for 13 months. And then uh, after that, I uh, spent my time in uh, Washington, D.C. and uh, during the Six-Day War doing things that I don't talk about. But anyhow, yeah. Those were, you know, that's kind of how, how the service went. I did my four years and then got out and, and then uh, went back to the studio. Uh, and, uh, you know, so that kind of, uh, uh, you know, had the GI Bill in those days and used the GI Bill to, you know, finish, finish in college. Um, when I came out of the Navy, I was, you know, still at the, at the same studio. Uh, Donna actually came in applying for a job uh, I was a supervisor, so taking advantage of all possible things that are no longer allowed. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, we ended up dating and and you know, then getting married. And so some, you know, that's, you know, the early, you know, the early part. And you know, even in those days, the uh, person that I'd worked for in in the dance studio separated or, or compartmentalized you know, the business side of the business and the dancing side of the business and everything like that. And, and uh, so I ended up, you know, being the manager of a couple of studios of his up here, one in Newport Ritchie and, and, uh, and such. And then in 1980, I guess it was 1979, end of 1979, my wife and I bought a, our first studio down in uh, Fort Myers, Florida. And uh, how did you end up, where did the connection down to the Florida come from? Cause I missed that jump in that, the story. Oh, well, when I was, uh, as I said, my, my, my father immigrated from Germany in 1932 via Russia. He, he, uh, his brothers all escaped either to Turkey or Czechoslovakia or, or elsewhere. My, my father ended up uh, escaping uh, to Russia. He spent uh, three or four years in Russia, three and a half years, I guess, in Russia as um, assistant conductor to one of the symphonies there. And then when they did a war tour in London, he walked off the stage and kept going and coming and came to the States. 
uh, in those days, um, uh, when he came to the States, he, he had been married. His wife escaped actually with one of his brothers. She lived in New York. He couldn't get a job as a professor in New York and ended up in uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia, the University of Virginia, uh, taught there for a while. Uh, couldn't get uh, tenure, depending on who you talk to in the family, uh, because he was one quarter Jewish. Uh, and, you know, uh, as from what other people say, fairly obstinate German anyhow. So, you know, who knows? But uh, he ended up, uh, you know, traveling back, doing some lectures in England, at which point he, he met my mother, who would, uh, this was after the war, uh, met my mother at, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, conference there, and they ended up, you know, getting married, and she moved to the States. So I was actually born in the States, in Pennsylvania, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I lived here for a good six or seven months before my family, you know, kind of went back and forth, my father being a professor and everything. After my father died, uh, my mother felt that she could get a better job here. Uh, so she uh, actually applied and got a job at in those, what was in those days the St. Petersburg Junior College. And she spent her entire career after that from 1962, I guess it was, 61, 62, um, you know, teaching at the junior college. Uh, she didn't think it was particularly good for myself or my brother to uh, not have a paternal, you know, or family part because, you know, being a single mother, it wasn't that easy in those days. So she sent us to live with our grandparents in, in Germany, which is why uh, most of my most of my education and, and time was there until you know, she felt you know, it was comfortable enough for us to you know, all be home and such. And you know, that's when we came back to the States. Wow. This is a fascinating story. Really? Yeah. <laughs> this, this is really, really fascinating. Now keep going. This is great. But you know, being, a, being a single mom, obviously, you know, you know, I don't know that she had as much you know, influence as she wanted and such. And I, and my, I was so young when my father died that, you know, in reality, I, you know, the only thing I know about my father is the stuff that family members have told me about, you know, what he did or what he accomplished or, you know, what he wrote. But he was a, he was a musicologist who uh, specialized in, uh, in old folk music and in folk music from Africa and, and uh, in, in particular choral and singing groups and, in uh, old time Europe and such like that. So, yeah. Uh, and uh, supposedly from a, an article I recently read from who somebody else wrote that included him in a, one of his quote unquote best friends turned out to be a Nazi sympathizer. And uh, it's the one that uh, basically required him and, uh, you know, to leave, I guess, uh, Germany at its most comfortable times you know, in the early 30s. You know, was having yeah sometimes there but it is what it is i mean you know everybody everybody likes to complain about what life is you know and you know you take what what you've gotten you know i remember i had a at a, a you know professor one time who, who said that you know nobody knew they were poor until the government turned around and told them they were poor if they lived in the country and had enough to eat you know if you talk to donna or whatever she'll tell you about how you know they used to have a one one school's farmhouse and, you know, n you know, lived out on a farm with uh, outdoor plumbing or whatever. Uh, well, 
not no plumbing, but outdoor plumbing, uh, you know, and, you know, but yet, you know, there was always a farm there and there was always food there and there was always, you know, clothes there. And even if they were hand-me-downs, nobody knew you were supposed to, you know, right. go to H&M and, you know, and, you know, buy clothes every six months or whatever. So, you know, uh, it's just a, a generational thing. And I don't know that, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me as a, as a kind of a side in all of this coronavirus stuff, everybody talks about how, you know, everybody needs to go out and buy more stuff so that people can have stuff. And you would think that, you know, after you spent, you know, a month at home or whatever, that you might figure out you didn't quite need all that stuff. But, you know, it is, uh, I don't know how many t-shirts you can wear. I mean, especially in, if you look at all the old houses that we sell here in Pinellas County, and you look at all these old three-bedroom houses, and you look at their, you know, their, the closets in their master bedroom, you know, I mean, you know, the closet in our house is bigger than the first apartment that we Donna and I rented when we were married, you know, 43 years ago, you know, so, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous what, you know, uh, you know, how, how things have changed. I, I don't say that as a, as a bad thing because our closet's full. So, I'm, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not belittling other people. I mean, we're as bad as everybody else. We just, you know, acquired it over more time probably. Yeah. yeah, and then you know it really puts things into perspective. I mean, it it to me it was almost like I was watching a movie, visualizing the story as you were telling it. And we don't have any real issues Problems. when you think about <laughs> when you think about people truly fleeing their countries for their lives and doing things to just just to survive and to move and to do things to to save your life, right? I mean, that's just an adrenaline adrenaline filled life, right? That just and you know people we take for granted i mean i've been you know short of the little gulf wars been in and been in a peacetime world right from for most of my life and certainly nothing like that so i couldn't even comprehend what it would be like when you know my wife's from germany also and the stories from there are from w world war ii and you still they're finding still munitions just still that in the in the rivers and things like that it's just an amazing it's, it's it's a totally different time. It really puts things into perspective to think about. So it's fascinating to see this. So, all right. So so now you're here. You're you've got a, a dance studio. Your now wife, right? Unknowingly you, walked. You bought in. the dance studio in Fort Myers, which is for those watching a two-hour drive down. Did you drive down to that studio every day? Did you all move down there, or what did you do? No, no, we moved down there. We we bought shortly after uh, shortly after we got married. We bought a house in. Uh, in Palm Harbor in a subdivision, a waterfront subdivision, although we didn't have a waterfront house, I was just across the street from it. Yeah. And, you know, and the, you know, when the, when the interest rates were down to, I think 14.7% or, or, you know, something for a mortgage uh, and such. So, you know, so we, we, we had a house and, you know, we bought the house and we lived there for a couple of years while I managed, you know, from 77 to 80. And, uh, and and then you know when when we uh, when we uh, had to move, then obviously we sold the house. And to be honest with you, I can't remember what company we hired you know to sell the house because I moved first and rented a place for six months and you know and down in uh, what's now Cape Coral, Florida, I guess, or probably was then too. Uh, and and then you know just had the house for sale up here. And then we had you know we knew what. You know what we wanted to do. We needed. We had to save some money, and you know, so we, you know, we, you know, did that in order to buy the first studio, and that, and 
then over the next um, over the next ten years, uh, you know, we bought uh, we bought two more studios, one in West Palm Beach, Florida. One we bought one in Naples, Florida, and I became uh, first the regional and then the area director for Arthur Murray International for all of the southeastern United States and and uh, Puerto Rico and and such. And in doing that that job, we started uh, running some you know dance competitions for you know, for Arthur Murray's, you know, because they used to have these area dance competitions and they still have dance competitions. In fact, it's probably their major source of income. But, you know, as, as the area director, we did that. And then right around 19, and right in 1990, uh, you know, the, the uh, president of the company, you know, said to me, he said, well, you know, I've got this guy who used to be a world champion, who's from England and uh, and he wants to get into the dance competition business and he needs somebody who's organized for whatever reason they thought I was organized uh, and such. So, you know, they hooked me up with a friend of mine who's now lives down in Sarasota. In those days, he lived in California, uh, uh, you know, and was an avid fisherman there. And, you know, so we went into business and we started a company and we ended up, uh, uh, you know, starting, uh, I guess it was about uh, six six different internationally sanctioned dance competitions around the world and at one point we were probably the second or third largest competition organizers in the country and such right um, that went fine until uh, 1999 at which point I had my first stroke and uh, Donna said you know you can't do all of this and uh, and then in 2000, I had my second stroke and I agreed. Uh, you know, so, uh, in 2001, we sold the studios and then, you know, without having the, that anchor of the studios, it's pretty hard to keep in, in the business. And my partner had a divorce and, you know, it all got kind of messy in that regard. So over the, you know, last 2000 to 2004 or whatever, we sold, um, you know, we sell those different events to different people, and most of those competitions are are still ongoing today with with other owners. I mean, they, you know, they've done well enough, and you know, I did well enough selling them, so I can't, you know, can't really complain too much, I guess. But you know, it's kind of like Jim. You know, if he would kept Century Twenty One for you know, another twenty years, how much how much more money would he have had? But who knows? You know, you can't. You know, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about the past and such. I, but you know, it's, it was mainly, mainly a health thing as far as my wife was concerned. Because one thing about the dance business is, there was no part of that it was a particularly healthy lifestyle. You know, you're you're up every night until ten, and then you go home, or you go out and you know you meet other people, and you know you're out till midnight drinking and dancing and eating and, and whatever. So yeah, it was a uh, you know Donna said you know enough's enough, and you know so that's what we got here. Uh, while we were still in Cape Coral, we had some friends who, uh, you know, were in uh, real estate, Tech Century 21 down there. And uh, uh, a couple of them always said to Donna, so, well, you know, you should do this real estate thing because you'd really know how to sell stuff, you know, because at the, at the studios, I mean, you know, frankly speaking, I mean, I did most of the training and, you know, and I did a lot of, you know, traveling for Arthur Murray's and doing seminars and, and, and training sessions for them. But most of the closing, as far as you know, closing contracts and things like that, is stuff that Donna did or or other people did. So uh, when she came down here, 
you know, was, you know, we sat around for, you know, you know, we were still fairly young then, you know, uh, you know, it wasn't something you could just retire at. And, and she decided, you know, she would go into, into the business, you know, for her, there was really no, uh, you know, no question, you know, since we had been involved in a franchise and had some value from the franchise, there was no question as to whether we would go independent or whatever. She happened to go to the uh, In Your Rocks Beach office, which was Century 21, because we live even now and, and did then very close to the beach. And that uh, being, you know, a smart real estate person, like a lot of other people, I I bought real estate at the height of the market and ended up selling it at the bottom of the market. Uh, on the beach, but you know, uh, you know, it's, everybody makes mistakes, and yeah, that's that's okay. But yeah, but uh, she decided, you know, she would go there, and she worked at IRB for a little while, and then uh, switched to um, uh, Madeira Beach, uh, mainly because of the manager that you had there at the time, who she felt was, you know, interested in you know in people's success and everything like that, and I don't. I, to be honest with you, I don't know how, when you opened that office or whether that was close to the beginning or, you know, the office in 2004, I think she went there. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of the connection. And then she kept, you know, saying to me, you know, says, well, you know, you don't, you don't have to travel if you were here. You know, you don't have to travel if you were here. And she took me around to a couple of open houses and such. And I, I you know, she asked me, you know, and Jim kept asking, he said, well, you know, you do all right in this business. You can do all right. And, uh, and finally, I looked at him and I said, you know, said, Jim, I said, I really don't give a blank. I could be my publishers. I really don't give a blank, you know, what color the carpet is, what kind of paper it is. I, you know, I just, I don't care. You know, uh, no interest to me, you know, leave me alone. Yeah. And so Jim said to me, so, well, you know, you don't have to do that. You could do commercial real estate, you know. You know, then you're only dealing with the numbers and everything like that. And so I kind of played with that idea for a while because when I was in Fort Myers, different people had enticed me to invest in different golf course communities and, and, and such like that when golfing was the big rage in the uh, mid 80s and mid 90s and such. And so, you know, with you know, fairly good results, I mean, you know, we, we invested in and a few of them and such like that. So I said, well, you know, real estate, that's not, that's not a bad thing, you know, we could, we could do that. And uh, so I started playing. So finally I, you know, said, well, I'll get my license, but I'll, I, you know, I won't do anything with it. So I got my licenses in 2004. And then uh, the, the traveling just got, you know, you know, harder and harder. And, and so, I, so in 2005, I said, well, you know, so I'll give this a whirl. And that, so that's, yeah, that's kind of the, the preview to it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, you've had a very successful run over the last 15 years, and I think it's fascinating, and I think people need to hear that it's not an overnight success, right? No, it's not. You told us before the call started how you started and what my dad told you to do, and which is the same thing he tells everybody to do, but you actually did it. So tell us how that worked. Went, yeah, uh, you know, when when I first started working at the at the office and the company and everything like that, uh, the uh, Jim, you know, said, you know, well, just start it. You know, if you want to do commercial real estate, you got to know what, you know, you got to know who you're talking about. And, you know, just go to the one end of the of town, take a, a small notebook with you and just meet everybody uh, that has a business. And just walk in, introduce yourself, say hello, you know, 
find out what they do, find out who rents, who owns the business, how long they've been there, you know, uh, you know, try to, you know, you know, get some kind of arrangement. Uh, and, you know, so, you know, not knowing too much about the real estate business and having been away from, uh, you know, the, you know, the beach areas and that since, you know, before when, when you could still go water skiing and, and uh, along the narrows here in Indian Rocks Beach, uh, you know, uh, you know, I figured, okay, well, might as well, you know, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about, might as well do that. So, you know, that's what I did. So I walked from, you know, the top and made it down to, uh, let's see, what was that? What would be, be I think 147th. So I went from 153rd, uh, 147th Avenue, right? And I uh, went into what in those days was, um, uh, I guess one can say gay bar or whatever, you know, nice, you know, nice guy or anything like that. But it was an older, older couple that owned it, you know, and uh, it was probably my, I don't know, sixth day or, you know, whatever, doing it and stuff like that. Because, and, uh, you know, he said, you know, I said, you know, he said, well, you know, so what, what do you do? I said, well, we sell real estate. Well, you think you can sell mine? I said, well, yeah, of course, you know, we can, you know we're Century 21. We can sell anything. And he said, well, you know, tell me what you think it's worth and then come back. I said, okay. You know, so, you know, I went, you know, running back to the office at which point the company decided, you know, that I didn't really know enough about what I was doing. So they assigned me an, another uh, agent, uh, um, girl named Gail or whatever, who's no longer there, but you know, nice, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice lady, nice, you know, you know, person she had, uh, she had actually, I guess, met them, uh, met, knew that person as well uh, and such. So that was my first listing. You know, it took another week or 10 days or whatever to, you know, figure out and, you know, talk them into it. So I, you know, I got my first listing within 30 days. And then, um, you know. Well, I think the point there is you went out day one and struck out, but you went out day two and struck out and you went out day three and struck out. And then you went again out day four and struck out. Then you went day five and struck out. Then day six, yeah, I, opportunity I, rose. The, the, but see, the interesting part is I, I didn't think I was striking out. No, you weren't. Because my, my assignment wasn't to go out and get a listing. My assignment was to go out and meet everybody and know everything. There you go. And the questions when I came back, right, the questions when I came back were, so what'd you find out? Oh, what about this person? Oh, you know, do, do they, you know, do they own it? Do they this? Do they that? Okay, wonderful. You know, go off and do it again. You know, I, I think you know there's there is a danger that, that that or a fear that a lot of times new agents have that there's this deadline of success. That, you know, if I don't make it in 45 days or 50 days or this or I mean, I was lucky as hell. I mean, you know, there was no question if I had been left to my own devices, I wouldn't have gotten a listing. I mean, you know, I needed an agent who knew what they were doing. I needed a, you know, Jim in the background who, you know, could, you know, help, you know, figure out what those properties were and, you know, were, were worth or this that or whatever, because not that much stuff had sold, right? You know, and so, you know, gradually I just went down and then Jim came up and, you know, came back and said, well, you know, I said, so what did what did the neighbors say? I said, what are you talking about? What did the neighbors say? You know, 
So, you know, the one, you know, is, um, I forget what the one next door was. And he said, well, you know, he says, that's a great corner. He says, you need to assemble it. I said, well, that's wonderful. What does that mean? You know, at which point, you know, you know, he said, well, he, he started talking about assembling stuff, right? And this was, you know, right before the crash. I mean, this was when, you know, the height of, you know, of height of exuberance of people buying property there. Now, this is 2005. Yeah, this is 2005, you know. So, you know, I said, well, you know, he said, go talk to all the other people. So I said, okay. I said, you know. So I went and I went to the people next door, uh, which was, that property was owned by an attorney. He didn't have an office there, but he owned it. And I said to him, I said, you know, I said, we're looking to get assembling this property. If we can get enough stuff together, maybe we can get a bigger thing. And, you know, and everybody can make more money. And won't that be wonderful? I have no idea what it meant, but it sounded good because Jim told me I should say that. So I did, and I got that listing, and then I got the listing behind it, and I got the listing behind it. So I had four properties right, listed, right, and and such, and you know, uh, you know, then proceeded to try to find out what I could do with it. Well, this was before the days of Wawa and everything like that, you know, where you know people were really willing to do it, and it's still even as a as a corner would at best be have been a uh, you know, 7-Eleven or, you know, some, something like that. And so the, the, you know, the assemblage never took place, but the concept of assemblage started to take place. And I ended up selling that building to, you know, some, the first uh, building that I listed to somebody. And then I'm selling the second building to uh, Michelle's Designs, and she's still there. And then I ended up selling the building behind that to um, Wally Petrus, who, uh, you know, I made who knows how many hundreds of thousands of dollars off of him. But you know, and then I never did sell the building on the on the uh, other side, the other duplex. And and John's had that building listed numerous times, always overpriced. And it's probably my fault because I probably told him back in two thousand five it was worth something. But you know, it is what it is. And uh, you know, and then but, you know, so you know that was those kind of went down, and I. You know, went further down the street, and you know, got to eventually know everybody, or, or at least wise most of the people and such. And, and uh, then Jim said, "Well, you know, let's let's assemble this block." So I, you know, I went and I found out who owned, who controlled the bank, uh, you know, next to our office, and uh, you know, got them to agree to an assemblage, and we assembled all this, the rest of the properties on uh, you know on that block, but you know. At that point, then uh, that was probably 2006. Uh, you know, was, and the wheels were starting, coming up, right? There. Starting to come down, but anyhow, we could, you know, we could never what get. I, we could what's never interesting, get What's interesting at this same time is what Donna's doing. So Donna, your wife, is working farms. We do the same thing from a residential that you were doing with commercial. Yeah. But I think it's really important here from a. Um, self-awareness perspective, something that you said earlier is that, you know, you don't really care about the color of the drapes and the warm and fuzzy parts of the house. It just, it wasn't even resonating as excitement to you at all. Mm -hmm. And so you didn't want to go down that path. Now, Donna, you met, you guys haven't had a chance to have her on here yet, but she is one of the sweetest, nicest, amazing people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And she's consistent and steady and amazing for 15 years. She has four streets that she has been going up and down these same four streets, beautiful waterfront properties for four streets for all of these years. And mm -hmm. she did the same thing. 
who lives there, who owns it, who rents it, who's out of town, who's in town, how old are their kids, what are their dogs, do they like the boat, what's going on? And that over years, they become part of her sphere. So I think, and that's her niche. Now, she wouldn't be nearly as good of going into the bar owner to doing that deal because she likes the connections and the personality. So I think for those watching right now, it's important to find your niche and to find what you actually enjoy. Now, Mike really is amazing. He's gone to lots of high levels. He's at CCIM, that amazing commercial designation, and he's, he's really mastered his trade to the point where I've got commercial deals. I'll refer over and bring Mike the, into the deal, right, because he's that good at doing what he's doing because he's zeroed in and he's focused in, and he said, this is what I'm going to become great at, and it's not – he's not on a tangent. He's not going to do a townhouse up in Carrollwood, right? He's, he's focusing on what he's good at. So how important do you think that's been for you just from a, a oh, lifestyle? I mean, and, you know, in, in fairness, Donna did the same thing. I mean, the company at that point produced a, a, a newsletter, a monthly newsletter, right? And they had the, you know, which, you know, I thought well, helped me out anyhow. They had an, a, a coupon page in the back of the newsletter. Right? And we would go around to businesses, and the only the only criteria for the coupon was that they had to give a discount that they weren't giving elsewhere. It had to be above and beyond, you know, your regular newspaper coupon or this that or whatever, or the buy yep. one get one free or this that or whatever. Right? And and we would you know take these little business cards and you know make this you know my, this is you know, before everything was, you had all this Canva and all these other things to do this for you and, you know, cut and paste or use my, I use Microsoft publisher and, and, and put all of this stuff together. And, and then they would have the Madeira beach newspaper. That was good for me at my business. Cause I could go work the back page, you know, have a reason to go talk to businesses and such, but the agents would then all have, you know, they would have this standard four uh, four page, uh, you know, uh, newsletter that they could hand out or mail out or do whatever they wanted to. And Donna took it and, and, and then eventually had, or fairly shortly had me put in the middle of it, what was happening within that, just those four streets, who was buying what that month or what was going on or whatever. So there was a, a personal pay. And that gave her, again, uh, what I think of as, as a kind of a reason to do something. You know, you go around, you hand out this newsletter to everybody, right? And you know, you, that's that's your job. You know, you don't, you don't worry too much. You know, what you know, you say hi. This is what's going on in the neighborhood. This is what's happening in Madeira Beach, right? If you ever have any questions, you ever need anything, give me a call. You know, I'm here to help. You know, by the way, you know, did you ever think of, you know, selling your house? Or if you didn't live here, where were you going to move? Or you know or something like that, right? But that, you know, that procedure, that process, again, gave her a reason right, to, you know, to go out in the neighborhood and go out and talk to people and go out and see well, people. Mike, it's fascinating. You use the word assignment. Your assignment yeah. was not to go get a listing. Your assignment was to go meet the people mm -hmm. and find out what made them tick. I think that mindset is really important for anybody watching. Mm -hmm. It's not the outcome you're looking for, it's the activity. And the activity generates the results. So you focused on getting the activities done because leadership gave you an assignment to do. And I think it's a lot of agents are missing in the industry is you do need leadership to give you assignments and you've got to tackle the assignment. We're not telling you to do things that don't work. 
right? But he also well, comes from a discipline, right? A discipline and a background and a lineage of professors of expertise, right? Teaching and transmitting knowledge and data, right? And trust. And so I think that kind of leads in too, which I think is interesting. I mean, he worked very closely with dad, right? And dad certainly knows what he's doing. So there was the professor role, right? To the mentor to learn the whole process. And it just kind of, it just, it flows, but it's, it's resisted a lot for a lot of reasons now, which is the way the world is right now. But for, I think that's a really important point, Craig, to, to talk about that. He, it came in and it took the pressure off, right? Took the pressure. Well, I think that's a big thing. I th you know, I, I remember the first uh, first time y'all told me to go to Mike Ferry, and you know, I went to one of the Mike Ferry seminars, and, and Mike Ferry said, you know, he said if if you're if you're immune to pain, right, pick up a telephone book, you know, call 250 people, and somebody's going to answer. You know, just you know, pick up the phone, and say, you know, how do you want to sell your house? How do you want to sell your house, right? And after 250 yep. people, somebody's going to say yeah. Right? Yep. And you know you can do that. You know, the, I I don't I don't want to make it generational, right, or whatever. But I think a big problem that a lot of times training has, right, is that we spend a lot of time telling people why they should do stuff. And your y'all's thing is, you know, what is your ultimate goal in life, and and this and whatever. And that's that's you know that's fine for you know for people, but. The next part is, what do you do? You know, but the most important part for the agents, I think, or for agents for to figure out is, is once I get that what, how am I going to do? What's going to be my process? What is my schedule for the next week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is, right? of specific activities? Right? Because, you know, I'm a even in my previous life, I was a big fan of Tom Peters, right? And the search of excellence and, and those types of things, right? And Tom Peters always used to say, you know, do, find something, try it, decide, right? You know, if there's something that you, you know, you think you can, you know, should happen, right? You make up a, you decide, you put, make up a mock thing, you try it out, you see if people are going to like it, whether it's your you know, your beer mug thing that you're doing, you know, I mean, at some point you have to find out whether people are going to like the thing, right? And I think that's a big thing that agents uh, struggle with when I, when I talk to them is that, that they, don't, they don't have an assignment of how to do things and how many of them they should do. You know, There's too many options get now too. too caught up in, you know, and, and, indirect advertising and such and i, I know mike pumba is probably going to watch this and this or whatever and and i don't do nearly as much as i should in social media and you know and you know some of the stuff i do in social media i do you know i did a social media what do they call it thing post this week and you know messed it up because uh, you know i wasn't i guess paying attention to enough of the different trainings and such so everything went out, came out with this flag, you know, dollar sign name, dollar sign instead of dollar sign first name, which would have, I, I guess, according to instructions now, included the information. Well, you know, I, when I first happened, I got pissed as hell. I said, what the hell are you talking about? You know, I mean, I even sent him a nasty email saying, yeah. And he responded saying, you know, it was supposed to be first name. I said, well, you know, I look up, you know, 
this hour on this, you know, this thing, and you know, don't give me that shit. And excuse my French. And, you know, <laughs> off you go, right? Well, the fact of the matter is, whether it was right or wrong, I still got response from it from a lot of the people in Facebook, right? So the bottom line is, is as upset as I got over it, right? The fact that I actually did it, right? Accomplished something, you know. And I don't know if it accomplished any more. I had a couple of people that I know well and got into conversations with who pointed out the mistake. Right? And I still ended up with the result that I want, I really wanted to have. So, so you know, rather than always looking for perfection, just get perfection it done. right away, right? the object is to have a, a proven or at least wise a, uh, you know, a method that you can do it enough times that you can get success. Right? If I'd have gone all the way down the street, right, and everybody had told me to go to hell or whatever, if Donna had gone down the street, and, and let's talk about Donna. You know, Donna, she got her, you know, thing. She went down there, and everybody's, you know, there's probably eight or ten agents, real estate agents, that live in her farm. Yeah. You know, now we have consciously, you know, and, and deliberately always decided we don't want to live in our farm. We won't be anywhere near it. For one thing, can you imagine spending your time at your pool and your neighbor's house is for sale and they're looking at you, right? Wondering what the hell are you doing at your pool instead of out there yep. selling my house, right? You know, so we just, you know, never became, you know, this was our, that's our business. It's not our, not our life. Right? That's a, that's an important part too, because th that distinction is huge because a lot of people put pressure on themselves too that, Oh, if I don't live there, that shouldn't be my farm. No, this is, you decided this is your business. This is your turf. This is what you're going to put walls around and you're going to go in and just in there. So those watching, you do not have to live anywhere. And it's, you know, it's a decent, relatively decent drive, but it's, you go to work in that one spot yeah. and it works well. Yeah. But she How would go around, from? she would go around and she would take her wizard there and she, you know, had the little plastic bags if somebody didn't have to be there and, you know, and she would drop it off and she would do it for the first month. You know, most people probably ignored her and this, that, and whatever. Right? But after, you know, three or four months or whatever, right, of, of doing it, right, all of a sudden, you know, people started, you know, talking to her more and asking her more and, you know, doing stuff more. And the first business that she got from her farm was not in her farm. The first business that she got in her farm was people saying, Oh, you're in real estate? I have a, you know, three houses in the ghetto, right? That I need to sell because I'm tired of dealing with the rent. So Donna comes home and asks me, since you've lived here longer than I, where's the ghetto? I said, we're telling you're not going to. Yeah. Uh, but she got the listings. Right? They were one of them was forty thousand dollars, one of them was fifty thousand dollars and one of them was, I have no idea. None of them were over $60,000. And it was actually, a, a, you know, a, I mean, not, a, not, you know, we didn't have showings at night, but it was an, an area of houses, and the houses were decent, and they sold, and we got people financing, and, and you know, they were there, and, and a couple of times that Donna did go there and stuff like that, the, the neighbors would come out and say, hey, honey, child, you know, you don't need to be coming around there with those rings on you know, you turn those rings around, you don't, you know, I mean, they were very protective of her and this, whatever, because they understood and felt because when Donna, you know, we did the same thing there we did before, 
tell people in the neighborhood, you know, hey, we're here to help improve the neighborhood, and this, that, and whatever. Right? Once we sold those three, we did not farm that area anymore. But you know, yeah. but you know, the, we did go back to you know her farm and you know put in that you know she sold the property for one of the people there, and then eventually she got another, and then eventually she got her listings there, and you know, and I have said and I still believe that probably not the first year. Probably, but by from 2006 on, my guess is that we've probably made a hundred thousand dollars a year or more off of just that street, those streets. And guys, I want to re, I want to emphasize this for a second. So there's four streets, and they become so well known on those four streets that people trust them. Right? It's really just about trust. If I like you, then I trust you. You get at what you do. So over the years, and this is important. Still, to this day, right, monthly, Donna puts those newsletters out, right? Still, to this, still, it's, it's amazing, and, but that's worked. So 100,000, six figures a year are coming from four streets because of consistency. Now, also, it didn't happen the first year, right? But after that year two and on, it started to, started to work. So and that's the point. It didn't happen, point. again, for necessarily from sales in that, in that area. That's right. But it came from the referrals from the people that are in that area. Yeah. And, and, and that now, was, to a large extent, it comes from the referrals from the people who sold there and then bought somewhere else, and now are buying somewhere else. You know, yeah. those, you know, you maintain those, you, you maintain those contacts of those people that are, you know, selling at least while buying locally after they sell, and yeah. you know, and and do repeat business. And it, it is, it is not. You know, Donna would always say. It's not a pressure cooker. It's a crock pot. You know, it's just a, it's just a, a regular, you know, a regular way of of doing business and developing business in this environment. Now, you know, we are getting older, so I do, do want to just correct one thing: is we don't. She doesn't walk it anymore. I won't let her walk it anymore. For one thing, right now she's undergoing some other things, but health things and and that. But we do mail it there. Uh, every every month still and she does follow up you know with a large number of the people that she knows and she knows most people's cell phone numbers and she knows most people's you know email addresses and and you know and stuff like that right? but it goes well, out every month the consistency is still there important century 20 is actually recognizing that because you know contrary to popular demand those are our customers too and if you and donna decide to retire then our customers leave with you, right? So mm -hmm. the right thing to do is to mentor somebody behind you. And Century actually calls it Accelerate. You mentor somebody behind you, and this can provide you income for the foreseeable future. Because if you share that book of business with the cell phone numbers that took forever to earn and the knowledge that Donna has created in that neighborhood, and you share that with an up and coming somebody else, they will share their revenue with you for the rest of time. I'm not encouraging you to do that anytime soon, but it would be a shame just to throw in the towel and say, hey, we're no longer going to participate in these two streets, so we're fortunate. No, no, I, I agree. The, you know, the, the problem is, at least why it's for Donna, is finding someone that she would trust that would of course. You know, sure. treat, the, treat the customers mm -hmm. the way, you know, the way we are and, and, and you know, 
you know, seeing how a lot of, you know, again, not, not a generational thing, but, you know, a lot of people just aren't, you know, and, I, and I'm not saying even it's necessary, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the next generation will never walk, right, you know, a farm again, and they'll do everything by, you know, you know. They wear a mask when they do it. You know, well, you know, I mean, there was a time where, you know, where wearing a mask is, you know, was, would be considered a scary thing. Everything changes, but it all goes back to connecting with people, right? And yeah. so, and it and goes back to the thing before everything works, mm -hmm. and that's just a great example of that one. So, in the in just the in the sake of time, because this is this is really a, a cool, fascinating story on this one. What I think we've given a lot of tactical advice through interweaving through these stories um, here today. What's the one? What's one good tidbit you for those agents who are watching? What would you suggest that they do? I think they need, if, if you want to be successful in this business, you have to set a schedule that you're willing to follow. You know, we used to have uh, uh, cold calling things or whatever in the office, this, what, or never. And, and at, you know, at the, 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 the concept is, is never, uh, what are you doing, but how are you measuring? You know, it's not enough to say, I dialed, you know, 42 times and hung up at the first dial and nobody talked. Right. You have to be able to say, you know, my, I'm going to talk to 10 people a day, 15 people a day right, that I haven't talked to before or that I, that are active clients or whatever it is, and then measure it. Of those, which one was your best call? Right. Of those, which ones require fire follow-up? You know, I always, you know, try to, <clears throat> when I am working, and I, and I probably don't work as much as I should, especially with this COVID-19 thing, you know, because you know, Donna and I have, you know, between the two of us, we have all the, uh, you know, potential risk factors and such like that. And frankly, I don't give a damn about everybody else. And, and thanks to you and your company, I can afford to take the time off if I need to take it off. And, you know, and, uh, and I will to keep my wife safe and everything like that. That's right. But, you know, people who, you know, People who want to succeed, whether it's now or anything like that, need to measure out. We used to talk about, and it's not just what's the best call you had. Right? It was every day, you know, have you practiced a script? If you're not practicing your scripts once a day, you're out of the, you're out of this business. You just haven't been told yet. Somebody once said, you know, most people quit long before they were fired. You know, and, you know, if you haven't, if you don't, if you aren't willing in a, in a business that's as people related as us, if you aren't willing to be able to say to yourself at the end of the day, who did I help today? What other agent did I help today? What customer did I help today? Not because necessarily I got a, a contract out of it. Right? And you aren't, or you aren't in the mindset to build relationships because relationships don't have to do with exchange. Okay. Relationships have to do with developing a, a mindset of, okay. of, you know, a community that's there to help each other. Okay? And, and that's one of the nice things that I, I, I really credit your company with is that, is that you are steadfast in recognizing people's areas and territories, while at the same time, people should be encouraged and need to help each other out. Okay? I mean, I get agents that call me all the time asking me wonderful questions about what can I do to, you know, uh, write up a lease contract, uh, you know, 
uh, for a commercial property in an area I know nothing about with a person I know nothing about. Not my answer, my st standard answer is to call two attorneys, right? One to take care of the lease and the second one to take care of you after you get sued, right? Because if you don't know what the hell you're doing, right? And you as a, as a, you know, as a realtor try to write up a business lease, right? You're a bloody idiot. I mean, you know, you're, you know, endangering not only yourself, but you're endangering your client and the company and everything else, right? But, you know, Helping people out, or you know, they may not like the help you give them, or whatever. But I think you know that people need to recognize, and, and people need to be not afraid to say, you know, who, who else could use this information, or whatever. And I, you know, it's, it's just it's part of being in business and part of you know helping people succeed. And I, and I think you're a great example of this. If you help enough people you never have to worry about money because money will flow as a direct result of helping people. So I, I like that takeaway of when you put your head on your pillow at night, be able to answer the question, who did I help today? And as long as you have people on that list, um, at least one, then you're on the right track and then you'll be rewarded because this is kind of a reciprocal business and universe. Mm -hmm. I think everyone's figuring out and help people and you never have to worry about anything going on there. Yep. So I think it's a great takeaway. And um, I want to thank you for your time today. And, um, and congratulations on just being amazingly consistent and awesome and a great performer. And we're very proud to have you on the team. So, um, and I'll tell you what. Thank you. That, that story was fascinating. It really, really was. From, yeah, I learned a lot that I didn't know before. That's Yeah, cool. Well, thank you for watching, guys. I hope you got as much out of that as um, I did. I thought that was a great, great takeaway. So, again, Mike, thank you very much. Send our love to Donna. And um, sure. talk to you guys soon. Be good. One, one, one.